Hello again and welcome. In this podcast, we discuss Out of the Bottle, the memoir of Londoner Graham Webb, an entrepreneur who overcame the challenges of spina bifida to become a hair industry icon. Join in our chat with Graham and listen as he reads from the book. This is episode 8. Greetings, Graham. Thank you once again for chatting with us. We're talking about growth and the ability of an entrepreneur to stay inspired while they're growing a business. After opening three salons in the UK, you were really hitting your stride as a businessman. And then you made some interesting choices. Instead of opening another round of salons and continuing this sort of organic growth of the chain, you began performing hair demonstrations in the United States. You had created an opportunity for yourself in Minnesota to go on the road. Isn't that right? I had uh, just opened the Bromley Salon and I did have three salons and I was very happy with the progress in the UK, but I was still sort of looking in on myself and having my personal worries. And when I saw that Sassoon's were doing these hair shows in America, I thought, wow, that would be something to go to this country that I've seen so much on the movies, and uh, and it, it, it might make me feel better. And that was the reason that I went to America. If I'd have uh, had an accountant worrying about the corporate projected objectives or the cost of going, we probably wouldn't have gone. And like so much of my journey, sometimes these um, things have led to things that I would never imagine. And of course, that show in Minneapolis was just one of them. So really it was about excitement and opportunity and keeping yourself interested. Yeah, it was a travel and an adventure opportunity that I saw, rather than how this might help me corporately. Well, and a fantastic way to, to leverage the talent that you'd really been cultivating in your salons in, uh, in England. Well, that's a, it's a very good point that, of course, the team that I chose to come with me that found a new adventure themselves... Um, And in fact, over the years, some of them never came back. And quite a few young Brits who came on tour with me or joined my training academy over there or whatever, they haven't come back. And they've ended up marrying somebody from America and got a family. And it's just amazing how my own personal dream um, has affected so many others. I remember an anecdote from the book about you having a particularly personal impact on a salon owner and, uh, and her family, as I recall. Yeah, I was uh, doing a salon meet and greet in St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri, and the owner said to me that my stylist, Lee, must meet you. So I looked at the Graham Webb person that was looking after me, and she said, it's okay for time. So I waited, and when this lady, Lee, came up, to me she said well I'm a grandmother but I'd heard you speaking a few years ago and you had a profound effect on me and I kept going on about you to my daughter and lo and behold the daughter then started going out with a man with the surname Webb and she shocked me by saying that her daughter had had a little baby and they'd named him Graham, Graham Webb after me and there's a photo in my book of uh, uh, me with a photograph of uh, little Graham Webb. I am, of course, expecting him to be a drummer. 
there was another meet and greet that I did in a salon and usually the stylists are very gracious. They want to photograph with Graham, often with the Graham Web products displayed in the background. And um, so I did one of my regular group photographs with the stylist. And just as they were taking the photograph, the lady next to me pinched my bum right at the point of the photograph being taken. And of course I jumped and this lady, Kathy, looked horrified that she'd done that. And she went straight out of the salon door and I could see her on the sidewalk. And so I said to her colleagues, I said, what's, what's her name? And they said, oh, it's Kathy. So I went to the front door and I said, hey, Kathy, um, that was great. I'd like to do six or seven more photographs, which, of course, gave her the confidence to come back in. And it turned out that every time she has a photograph with her husband, apparently she pinches his bum, you know, to make him smile. And it was force of habit that made her do that for me. So when I wrote to the salon from London, once I got home, like I do, I write to every salon I ever visit, just a little thank you. I put on the card, um, I really enjoyed visiting your salon. And of course, I shall always remember Kathy. And somebody told me the other day that Kathy has got my card on the wall by her station in the salon. So it looks like she won't forget me in a hurry either. That's certainly getting to know your customer. Let's transition now and hear a bit from the book about your first forays into the international hair show circuit. The transition from salon owner in a corner of England to so-called international fashion guru, like practically everything else for me, began with a notion that just wouldn't go away. From early on in my life, I was convinced that I needed to be elsewhere, whether it was away from my parents' flat, my secondary school, Mr. Seeger's shop, or my first little salon. I never had the feeling during those formative years of my life that said, OK, now I've arrived. I needn't be anywhere else. I don't need to accomplish anything more. Not me. I've always had a kind of wanderlust, which was nurtured by my cruises on P&O, on the cruise ships, but was probably in me from birth. There are magnets we have today on our family's refrigerator. They say, to travel is to live. And travel and a change of scene impart new vigour to the mind. So I've always been interested in the next salon, the next marketing idea, the next way to grow and move on. I've never had an ultimate destination in mind, only a love for the journey. And I knew somehow, in some way, that journey would lead me to America. In 1979, Mandy and I visited Dee Dee and Mike Giersch the couple we had met on our honeymoon in Barbados. It was our first time visiting America together and seeing it in a new way. There's just so much of America. Its economy is vast. The salons are huge, but it's the unchecked ambition of its people that really impressed me. Networking, promotion and marketing were things to be celebrated, not handled as sort of 
discreetly as possible. I returned from our holiday and thought, I must find a way to go back there. On reflection, I didn't think I needed to get there as a way to get rich. I just wanted to go there because it would be inspiring and fun and not entirely impossible. I had watched a few companies take their European reputations across the Atlantic. Two colleagues in my industry who I knew had been really successful there, Vidal Sassoon and Paul Mitchell. There were always write-ups in the trade magazines about the Sassoon team performing hair shows in Japan, Canada and the United States. What publicity, I thought, and also what an adventure. Maybe I could do the same thing. Maybe these shows were a way to launch me from my small suburban market to a global one. Perhaps these shows could be my next thing. Britain was still a source of inspiration in both music and fashion. America had been bombarded by the so-called British invasion that began in the 60s. And since then, Britain had enjoyed a reputation in America as a birthplace for cool looks and sounds. I set about trying to attract the attention of the editors of Modern Salon magazine, a leading American publication which was very widely read and respected across the industry. If I could have some professional photographs of hairstyles by Graham Webb stylists published in Modern Salon magazine, I thought I could be well on my way to opening doors in America. But I didn't do it right. Well, at least not at first. Getting bad advice from my cautious banker on where I could find an inexpensive photographer, I spent what was actually a lot of money to me by hiring an up-and-coming photographer who produced work that was far below the quality required. I didn't even bother to send the photos to Modern Salon because I knew they would be unacceptable. I suppose I could have given up right there, but instead I was determined to go about things the right way this time. I started leafing through a copy of Vogue magazine, searching for the photo credits under the really beautiful pieces of fashion photography therein. One of the photographers, Richard Best, was based in London, so I rang him and I said I wanted to book him for a shoot. I didn't dare ask him how much he charged because if I found out, I knew I might have hesitated in doing it. Would you like to do your own casting, he asked. I didn't know any models or how to do a casting. I'd rather you use models you're comfortable working with, Richard, I said. That's fine. And it was. With some help from Richard... Mandy was the makeup artist, and the photographs from that shoot looked as if they were taken straight from the pages of Vogue. I didn't hesitate to send them to Modern Salon, and I wasn't surprised when the magazine accepted them for publication. This successful investment, compared with the initial choice of a cheaper photographer, 
once again reaffirmed my conviction that in so many situations, you really do have to speculate to accumulate. Following Modern Salon's acceptance of the pictures, I began to develop a telephone chatting kind of relationship, both with the publisher, the late Ken Grogan, and his editor, Laurie Delaney. They took me for an ambitious young British salon owner who was interested in being on the forefront of style and education. And they nurtured that part of me and gave me encouragement that reaffirmed my ambitions. That is so important because there are so many times along the road when a pat on the back, rather than a slap in the face, can make all the difference. There are always people who take it upon themselves to give you their unsolicited opinion about what's wrong with you, which can really knock your confidence. At such times, I remind myself of the quote, when someone is unhappy with themselves, they will always tell you what's wrong with you. I think that's a really good thing to always remember. During one of our telephone chats, Ken Grogan mentioned that he was taking a trip to London and he'd like to see me. My first thought was, great. But the next thought was, oh no. I couldn't just meet him in one of my little salons in the suburbs. That would deflate the image I'd been trying to create. So I came up with an idea. Let's meet at the Institute of Directors, I told Ken. Joining the Institute was about to pay dividends for me. I met the magazine publisher in the then stately offices of the IOD in Belgrave Square, London. I showed him some testimonials from clients and some of the press clippings I'd received. A couple of months later, the telephone rang in my salon. I picked it up and it was Jerry Sapperston of the National Beauty Supply Company in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hi, Graham. We're putting together National's World of Beauty, our annual show, Jerry explained. And Modern Salon said you'd be a very good team to headline our next show. He gave me the dates and I had enough business sense to appear unfazed by the offer, even though I knew this was a huge opportunity and that the team that had headlined the previous year was the Vidal Sassoon International Artistic Team. This could be the break I was looking for. Let me check my calendar, I said to Jerry. I called him back after 30 minutes or so, having first called for advice from my friend Joshua Galvin, who, as the then general manager of the Vidal Sassoon organisation, had been a pioneer of British hairdressing touring teams. Joshua helpfully gave me a number of key do's and don'ts. I called Sapperston back, saying that it appeared that my artistic team and I would be available. My salons had participated in the World Hairdressing Congress in London, but mostly I'd begun taking a few of the accomplished stylists with me to perform small-scale demonstrations for local women's clubs. I'd begun taking a few of the accomplished stylists with me to perform small-scale demonstrations for local women's clubs. 
I didn't actually have a show team in the sense of a big flashy team that could entertain and educate a convention full of professional stylists. But that's what I was working towards. Hair shows had grown to be very much like clothes fashion shows. There was a lot of glitz and glamour. Flashy, gorgeous runway models would strut around, showing off the latest fashions. The difference was that with a hair show, the emphasis was mostly on the hair, not only on the clothes, really showing a total look. I didn't bother to weigh the economics of headlining National's World of Beauty show in Minnesota, and I'm sure, looking back, that if we'd sat down like accountants, we might have said, let's never do that again. But of course, I've never thought like an accountant. That's why I'm not still selling somebody else's rice pudding out of the back of a car. Don't get me wrong, every company needs a good accountant. But there also ought to be somebody in charge who won't let the numbers dictate the dream. I remember that the founder of Sony always gave the following business advice. Never let an accountant run your business. And there's some truth to the quip that if you think too much like an accountant, you can end up with your arse in the future and your head in the past. I flew out to Minneapolis with three of my best employees, which meant that I was losing the volume they would have generated in the salons during their time overseas. I was very fortunate that Freddie Laker had just launched his airline, which featured the first budget transatlantic flights. They were called Skytrain. If it hadn't been for Skytrain, the cost of these shows would have been much more prohibitive than it already was. There were other expenses too. Once our appearance was confirmed, I took the show team into London, where we went on a clothes buying spree, decking everybody out in Fiorucci clothing, V-neck shirts with very trendy trousers. The clothes we wore on that trip seemed laughable now, but back then they made us look really cool. We were the chic Brits going into the vast American prairie to give them a good dose of cutting-edge style from London, England. The flyer for the event showed my bearded face with a Union Jack flag by it and the words, The Graham Webb Group are official hairdressers for the two leading theatre groups in south-east London. The New Churchill Theatre and the Greenwich Theatre. As a result, their salon clientele is made up of internationally known actresses and actors, as well as entertainers. I flew into Minnesota, looking down on the unfamiliar, snow-covered American city of Minneapolis-St. Paul, without any idea that nine years later I would be coming back here, in the shadow of that same Radisson South Hotel, to seal the deal of my life for my own product line. The show in Minneapolis was intoxicating. The Americans were so enthusiastic and effusive that by the time I was flying back to England, I was already thinking of ways that could bring me back.
For more information about purchasing out of the bottle, visit gramweb.co.uk. Profits from the sale of Out of the Bottle go to benefit a variety of charities, including those seeking to find a cure for spina bifida.